0: This is David Cutler, professor at Harvard University, and we're talking with Patrick Conway, who's president and CEO rect of Blue Cross Blue Shield of North Carolina. Deegent Catalyst sent out a a uh, sort of thing to its advisors with who would you like to hear from? And I responded, I'd like to hear from Patrick. And then they said, Great, we set up an interview for you with Patrick. So <laughs> I'm gonna ask you what it is I was hoping someone else would ask you, but but we will see where the conversation goes. So Patrick, you were one of the fundamental people at CMS responsible for delivery system reform and payment reform efforts, and you made an enormous amount of headway there. So what I want to start off by asking you is, what do you think were your biggest successes there, and then understanding that in everything that one does in life, some things don't work as well as we hope they would, what things didn't work out as well as you
1: hoped they would? Thanks, David, and thanks for having me here today. It's been my first month at Blue Cross after uh, transitioning out of uh, almost seven years at CMS, and really terrific to talk today. You know, In terms of uh, delivery system reform and the the CMS Innovation Center, which I got to lead for a number of years, I think the biggest sort of macro success I call out is here in Medicare in 2012, we had 0% of payments and alternative payment models. Where the providers accountable for quality and total cost of care. You know, by uh, 2016, we were ahead of schedule with over 30% of payments in alternative payment models, like accountable care organizations, bundled payment, conference in primary care, and really has shifted Medicare uh, towards these alternative payment models. Over 200 billion dollars, over 30% of payments, actually providers and patients, uh, in these alternative payment models. So that's a I was on a panel with Don Berwick, and he talked about how oh, we've seen more positive change in the delivery system over the last three to five years than he thought we had ever seen, uh, which is kind of him to say. He also said, and I agree with him, we have a lot more work to do. You know, we need mm-hmm. the best possible care for every patient every time. And then I specific, what are the, the biggest successes? I think in accountable care organizations, you now have... Heading, uh, heading towards 500 APOs in the public market and even more in the private market, some results just came out, I believe, last week, demonstrating increasing savings over time and quality results, which aren't talked about quite as much, are, are quite positive in terms of high level of quality and patient experience and improving. You know, the second I call it is bundled payment, uh, where take hip knee replacement, as an example, a JAMA study showing improved quality and lower costs. And actually, in North Carolina uh, also showing improved quality and lower cost here at Blue Cross. And then the I'd call out primary care work. We still have more work to do, but I think we're shifting the primary care model through models like Comprehensive Primary Care Plus, where you're investing in population-based primary care. And then lastly, prevention. And I think the example I give there is the diabetes prevention program. We're seeing that built on evidence from NIH and CDC tested diabetes prevention program, a community based prevention program for diabetes, demonstrated it could lower cost, uh, certified by our actuaries, and improved quality, sustained weight loss, and now it's going nationally in twenty eighteen for that benefit uh, and program will be about available at the community level in Medicare beneficiaries across the country. So those are some examples I call out.
0: What about on the other side? What things didn't Work out as well as you hoped they would?
1: Yeah, I'd say the challenge and things that I struggled with until the day I left was um, the pace and the pace of learning. And maybe this is my natural frame, I'm a quality improvement frame, but you know, it still took us too long to get new models launched. We were trying to learn in a much more rapid cycle and I think got better at that over time, but it just was challenging to evaluate and learn at the cycle you need to, uh, to improve. I think one of the things, quite frankly, I'm excited to be here at Blue Cross is um, I think we can be a little more nimble uh, at a state level uh, with Blue Cross in the private sector to implement these programs and, and learn at a, an even more rapid cycle. and so. Those, I think, uh, are some of the things I call out that were challenges and areas that we need to improve on over time.
0: You, you mentioned um, four specific types of programs. You mentioned the ACO program, the bundled payment program, the primary care work, and the prevention work. When you look at the evidence, there's a sort of a debate that's been going on between some people who say they saved money and yep. improved quality, and that's good. And other yep. people say, yeah, but they saved a little bit of money. They haven't transformed healthcare care the way that we thought they would. And quality has gone up, but it hasn't transformed quality the way we hoped it would. You yep. sounded more like a glass half full than a glass half empty person. But yep. what is the right way to read our success relative to what might have been?
1: You know, I do have a natural optimistic frame, but uh, yeah, I think the best sort of evidence from some of your colleagues are things like McWilliams and Churney's paper, that really looks at the overall effects, including market effects, which is much better than, I well, won't cite names, but people who try to do savings estimates based on sort of growth figures that actually are not an evaluation. Um, so, you know, in the ACO program, just to take with that example, I think the McWilliams and Churney's paper and some of our formal evaluation. You know, now that, it's savings and significant savings, but also on the order of you know one to two uh, points. The ESRD program that just came out was actually a little over five percent savings, but often mm-hmm. in the sort of one to two range. You know, I, I would say that's not that's not you know a double digit number, but I would also say if our U.S. health system shaved one to two points off trend for the long term. You know, Medicare is in a more sustainable place. Private health insurance is in a more sustainable place. So, you know, I want those savings numbers to grow over time. I also think for, I think sometimes, especially in D.C., we lose sight. You know, a lot of these programs launched. You know, when I started in early 2013 the Innovation Center, there were just a couple of models. Um, you know, a lot of these programs really launched over the last three or four years. I think we need to give some more time to see those numbers grow. And also in the APO program, and I think you know this, David, ACOs that have been in the program longer are, on average, saving significantly more money and having better quality results. So I, I point to those uh, pieces of data and evidence.
0: Do you make anything of the fact that the ACOs that are saving more are the ones that are not centered around the hospital?
1: <laughs> yeah, so, you know, uh, one, I would say we have ACOs of all types saving money, so there's, like most things, there's variability, so, you know, we have a urban, rural, hospital, physician-led, et cetera, saving money. That being said, you're correct, then the physician-led ACOs, on average, are saving more. You know, I think my hypothesis there, and we we did some research on this, and as On population health, you know, from the C suite down to the frontline nurse to the frontline primary care clinic. And we were able to do that, but in health systems, you know, it, it, it can be a little more challenging given there's some competing demand at
0: times. You've said a couple of things. you said some of these programs will need more time to mature. You've also said that it would help if the incentives are aligned more fully. Yeah. Do you do you think we need additional action to get from 1 to 2 or 4 to 5 percent savings to 10 to 15 or 20 percent savings? And if so, what actions should CMS take or private insurers take or employers take or anyone take?
1: A couple thoughts, I think. One, and you know, I try to think with Nuance. So let me describe. So, like in bundled payment, you are seeing that like, for hip and knee. You know, the results here in blue crops are close to 20% savings. Our national results were close to 10%. So, I think in a given condition, we're seeing people successfully align incentives in for you know double digit savings. I think it's it's by definition a little less complex to do that for a singular condition. Um, but I think you're seeing people align physician and clinician payment, quality measures, and sort of care pathways for conditions for double-digit savings. For population-based payment models, so, you know, next-generation ACL and Medicare was, was the biggest one with the sort of highest level risk. There's, you know, we're seeing some people get close to double-digit savings, but it's not across the board. I think there are collective challenges, you know, do some of these organizations just need more time? Are uh, Do we need to have more direct alignment all the way down to the physician-clinician level on incentives? And uh, I'm sure you know people have looked at this. The alignment with in organizations is often not very tight. So any yeah. organization is paid for population, but their positions are still paid on RBUs, fee-for-service. That cool. doesn't make sense at all. And so, you know, I think some of this is evolving. capability so that primary care clinician can manage their patients outside the office visit, as opposed to just the patient in front of them. That, you put the incentives, systems, and tools in place, thinking uh, so that, you know, those numbers grow to higher single digits over time, you know, potentially double digits. I won't end where I started, though. You know, if we achieved, as you know, as an economist, if we shifted the trend.
0: and members of Congress and interest groups, given the successes that we've seen and the slowness that you correctly noted and where we are now, what should the goal be for the next couple of years? And I'm going to assume for this for hopeful purposes that everyone wants to achieve higher quality, lower cost care. So it's not an issue where you have to convince people that that's a reasonable goal. And we've got the coverage side. So, just you know, think yeah, about the medical yeah, right. kind of side and stuff like that.
1: Yeah. yeah. So, you know, it's interesting. Um, in transitions, you get some time to reflect. Although I had like two weeks before I started this job. Uh, <laughs> so I moved and reflected for like a day. But, you know, I worked, in, as I think you may know, in the Bush administration for Secretary Levin on value driven health care. You know, mm-hmm. then left government, came back in the Obama administration, and, you know, Chief Medical Officer, all the overall Innovation Center you know, principal deputy asking administrator, I had sort of like every job at CMS at some point, (laughs) or many of them, Mm -hmm. you know, and and served in the beginning of the Trump administration. I would say, you know, we need to continue to focus on testing new models, and when I say new, let me clarify, also, oftentimes, the next iteration of current models to generate these kind of results, so... You know, I think we need to test, and I said this publicly when I was in the administration, and so we'll say it now. We need to test the next generation of bundled payment models that move to the next level of uh, bundled payment, and that applies in the public and the private sector. For ACOs, we need to, you know, for example, give you a tangible example how do we get consumers more engaged? How do you have consumer incentives and consumer engagement at a much deeper level? I said that when I was in the administration, I'll say outside the administration. I mean, it's a, it, as a scientist and a physician, you know, I fundamentally think that's a, a place where we have additional improvement uh, to, to go. In uh, specialty physician models, we have some models there. Uh, we don't have enough in the Medicare program. So how do you test in specialty? There was an RFI, a request for information that came out of CMI sort of after I left that I worked on when I was in the innovation center, you know, it calls out consumer-directed models, health plan innovation, mental and behavioral health, where I think, I'll be honest, long, long answer to your question, but I think our mental and behavioral health in the system and the system in the country is fundamentally broken. And uh, if we don't do better in behavioral health and substance use, it's going to cause major negative effects. It is now causing major effects on our population that are negative and are not getting better, they're getting worse. Um, we also called out um, state-based innovation. So we did much of that work uh, in the innovations Center already partnering with states, but how do you partner with states even closer on their sort of comprehensive delivery system reform at a state level? You know, such as a state like North Carolina, um, to really generate the best possible results in a given state.
0: So the, when sometimes sees on the other side that we've so many different demonstrations and programs that kind of are getting in the way of each other. Yeah. Like, for example, if you do a bundled payment model inside an ACO model, who gets to keep the savings from fewer resources expended in hip and knee surgery? Is it the, the orthopedic provider or is it the ACO? So when sometimes you see these, these calls for pruning, you know, figure out what's worked and then go with the ones that have worked and and, and try and jettison the ones that, have, that are not working. You, you seem to be on the other side of that. Can you reflect on that a little bit?
1: Uh, yeah, I'd clarify a little differently. I don't know them on the other side, but actually internally in CMS, I would talk about the need for focus. So, mm-hmm. um, and we actually did do that. So, in the very beginning of the CMI, for example, healthcare Animation awards, which I think had a purpose at the time, we're literally funding everything possible across the country, um, mm-hmm. and the sort of hundreds of flowers blooming focus. Uh, which, which, by the way, at that time, that even predated me, mm-hmm. could have been very reasonable. Um, but I think where we are now is focusing most on what is most likely to work. Um, the innovation center. Sandbox count models right now has sort of in the high 20s uh, in terms of total number of models. You know, my I'm not there anymore, but I don't think it should grow much beyond that. I think as things get added, things have to go away and potentially, you know, even more focused. And we were working in that direction. We did have a team actually looking at this overlap issue of as models overlap, it creates two challenges. One is the one you described. You know, how do you share the money and how do you not double pay as a payer for the same savings? Yep. You know, we had created rules so that we didn't double pay, essentially. And then we had said the market will work out how bundles and APRs work together. You know, what I was hearing from people is the market was not always working that out. So how could the payer be a facilitator or, you know, help the market to function? And I think that's, that's, that's the valid issue to consider. The second, which I know you know a ton about, David, is evaluation. You know, it's getting yep. increasingly challenging to do these evaluations because there's so much, the positive is there's so much change in interventions and providers and payers trying to drive try change in the marketplace. The con is, you know, it, it, it's very difficult to find a real control group anymore because you're, you are have so much change in the marketplace.
0: There is no control group. There is nothing no control
1: it. group. Yeah, I should say this. It's very difficult to try to find. Uh, and actually, this is good. You can reflect back as a more expert researcher than me. I'm like a researcher who's like <laughs> retired now or something. But um, yeah, I mean, the evaluations, like our team, I'll tell you, I mean, they, were, they would work really hard to do the best possible job on the evaluation and as sophisticated methods as possible. And we bring in external people to help us uh, and, and independent evaluators. But, you know, you can tell me anything I'm wrong, but I think the evaluation was getting more and more challenging over time.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, in fact, people have to um, use not sort of standard treatment control groups, but sort of treatment and then make some guess about what the control might have been.
1: Yeah, exactly. Because so there is no control anymore. I don't want to totally geek out with you, but we were trying to use like Bayesian methods and estimating. Uh, we were sort of, exactly, we were trying to estimate what the the intervention, what the effect would have been, and that's to make both within the actual intervention groups plus market effects. I mean, not to. I, I do remember my research days. I not—I was never as good a researcher as you <laughs> uh, And then it was exciting to sort of think through with the team the best possible way to do the evaluation.
0: Are there any payment models that you say, you know, that's really not delivering what we think it ought to? That's not the right path to go down.
1: Yeah, I, you know, I'll give a couple. Like our first primary care model, that was an SQHC model, literally just paid for primary care accreditation, essentially without a link to quality of cost. It, it did not work, um, and I think it was, you know there's a lesson there, and you know, pay for hard quality cost outcomes, not proxies when possible. Um, you know, I think in the um, In the specialty physician arena, I think we still have, it's an open question, how well we can design specialty physician models that truly improve quality and save money. So in the private payer space, there's some in oncology, Medicare had an oncology care model that was, you know, we're waiting for results from. Uh, But, you know, what about rheumatology, neurology? What about the sort of array of specialty medicine? I mean, I can't point to a lot of examples of sort of specialty physician models demonstrably proven to improve quality and lower cost. But obviously that's a large portion of outpatient medicine. So I think that's an area for both Medicare but also private payers to work on going forward. Those are a couple of examples.
0: I want to um, try and end with a lightning round. So I'll ask you three things and get really quick assessments from you, if I can.
1: Okay, you're going to try to make
0: this hard on me, all right? <laughs> uh, true or false? Medicare you know that I've only been out of
1: government for a month. It's hard for me to modulate it any other way. Than, uh, but, but sure. Yeah, but ahead.
0: you're free. You're free. You can say whatever you want. Uh, <laughs> true or false? Medicare spending will be lower uh, five years from now than we currently forecast it to be. Than
1: currently forecast. Uh, I think true. I think it will be lower.
0: Okay. Um, second question. Five years from now, are we going to conclude that North Carolina has taken the lead in delivery system reform across the country?
1: Yes. Um. And I'll get sorry. I know you want lightning around because I love to no, uh, no, work with okay. my blues colleagues, and we're all partners. Um, <laughs> you know, we want to make this, this, we want to make a lot of progress in North Carolina. You know, are we going to yeah. do that alone? No, we're of course going to do it partners. Are we going to try to work with all the blues and other health plans? Of course. But I mean, you know, to, to answer your question on where do we want to be in five years? You know, we uh, it is a great organization now. Sorry, this is a yes or no answer. That's
0: it's okay. a great That's organization
1: okay. now. And, um, you know, I think there's a huge opportunity to demonstrate that possible. Uh, and what I mean is, you know, a health insurance company, a health solutions company that delivers even better health outcomes and lower cost and best-in-class customer experience. And so, I mean, you know, I, mean, I like to set aspirational goals. And sure. so that is an aspirational goal that, that we'll work together with the team here on.
0: My final question for you. Over the next five years, Medicaid will be as important a driver of payment reform as Medicare. Accurate, inaccurate? Uh,
1: I know you want a one word answer. I think mean, it's going <laughs> to vary. But, I mean, I just think Medicaid by definition is going to vary at the state level. So I, I uh-huh. think you will see some more. because there's I think, you know, just to um, riff on that a bit on the multi-payer from both sides. here. We need many, many more examples. And I think at a state level, to do it across large private payers, like a Blue Cross, um, Medicaid and Medicare, I think you could see some amazing results at the state level.
0: Yeah, and we're trying to do that here. I totally agree with you on it.
1: Yeah. No, I'm to Andrew, uh, and others in Massachusetts. I mean, it's that you all are doing some terrific work, and I think... uh, you know, I want bi-directional learning, so we want to learn from what you do in Massachusetts yes. and from the Blue's Plan and others in Massachusetts. And likewise, you know, in North Carolina, uh, we want to try innovative new work and also hopefully be an example for others of uh, what's possible at a state level.
0: So I'm sure you know the dynamic of state and local government is very different than the federal government.
1: Yes, I'm lear- I knew that, and I'm learning it even more every day. <laughs> so uh, it's, it's exciting time.
0: In the final um, minute or so, what else should I have asked you?
1: I'm still a practicing physician, I think you know, on weekends, and mm-hmm. to do that still in this role. Yep. You know, at the, at the end of the day, you know, it's all the macro changes that we need. I mean, I, I care about macroeconomics and macro changes and macro quality measures, but at the end of the day, in North Carolina, I've been uh, interacting uh, with our members, including. A member yesterday who was a breast cancer survivor who literally thanked me for the amazing care that was delivered to her across the board from Blue Cross, North Carolina. You know, my mother is a Medicare beneficiary and it is an ACO. I won't bore you with the long story because I've told another format, but, you know, got hospitalized and her care coordinator helped coordinate her care and keep her from being hospitalized. Yeah, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, how do you have a highly reliable system each and every time in this country that delivers the highest possible quality at the lower cost? And, and we don't have that yet. I, you know, we have pockets that are great, but we have too many times where a person or a family falls through the cracks. Um, and so, you know, my goal at Medicare and now my goal at Blue Cross is how do you design and test systems that deliver that highest, best health outcome higher quality care, best-in-class service experience, and at a lower cost. So uh, maybe that's what I would leave you with as a, as a summary statement.
0: I'm tempted to conclude with the how they do it at the end of wait, wait, don't tell me. If any of these come to trust, we will thank you very much.
1: No, <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> and, uh, you know, thank you to New England Journal. It's been a great uh, partnership uh, over
0: time with all of you.